But if you're anything like me and you're sitting down to start a new creative project or even try to make a piece of content, you can <laughs> start to feel like, okay, I have all the options in the world. Where do I start? That freedom can really create a boundary for us. It can keep us from moving forward. So today, we are going to talk with my buddy Jeff Barch about this idea of creative constraints and how we can use constraints to not only get the project or the piece of content moving, but to get it to connect with people really well. Jeff is the founder of StoryGreenlight.com and has built his 20 plus year career as a television editor in Los Angeles, where he has shaped thousands of hours of content for clients like ABC, NBC, Universal, Disney, Apple. I mean, the dude, let's just get real, the dude is a freaking pro, right? He has a book that he's written called Edit Better, Hollywood Tested Strategies for Powerful Video Editing. Um, he's a consultant and coach to content creators. He's backed by people like Evan Carmichael, who has over 3 million subscribers on YouTube, who says that Jeff is a master at helping YouTubers tell stories, and also guys like Michael Stelzner, the founder and CEO of Social Media Examiner. I was fortunate to meet Jeff through my job at Video Creators, and we hit it off. Since then, we've been able to meet up multiple times at different conferences, and when he was coming through the Midwest, we got together and hung out and had some drinks and dinner, and I am just always blessed by Jeff's presence and knowledge, and I think you guys are going to get a lot from this conversation. There are two main stereotypes when it comes to creatives. The one who sells their soul and the respect of their art to make money, and the one who abandons the money to make their art. I believe there should be a balance between the two where money is not the end result, but the money exists to serve the mission. That's why I'm here to help mission-driven artists grow the right audience, create income with your creativity, and change your mindset around common fears that creatives face so you can live your calling of being a creative individual. My name is Lennon Bone, and my mission is to help artists and creatives like you change the way you see your worth. Welcome to the Stop the Starving Artist podcast. Jeff, it is so good to have you hanging out with me. I just got to hang out with you, um, I don't know, what was it, two weeks ago, if that, and Not even your that, podcast. Yeah. yeah. And when you're like, hey, I'll come do yours, I was like, oh, awesome, because any excuse that I have to just have a little more barch in my life, you know, I feel good ah. about it. So thanks for uh, thanks for taking taking some time to come and bring, bring some of the noise over here. Um, in the bone zone. So Very appreciate cool. you. Awesome. Glad to be here, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I talked a little bit about it, about it in the intro, but give us a little synopsis. Like what are some of the favorite things that you've done in your life as a creative? One of my favorite things I've got to say is the idea of I've changed my path because when I first started out, I first started out much like you, as a musician, um, I started picking out melodies on the piano when I was four or five years old. And uh, it, there, there was literally a time when I started messing around with the notes and the melody and I was playing old McDonald had a farm and I figured I could turn into this spooky key and make this happy song sound sad. 
I discovered C minor instead of C major. And that's when my mom said, get this kid some lessons. So I grew up playing uh, piano by ear and also classically uh, all through high school. I had big, fancy recital, Beethoven, all the things when I was in uh, 12th grade. And I figured at that point that because my family is musical, I, I just figured I'd be doing music for the rest of my life. And what happened was when I was in junior high, I started discovering music recording, MIDI sequencing. I hooked up, I hooked up a little keyboard to, uh, to my brother's boom box. I discovered what it meant to start bouncing tracks back and forth and doing like super basic mix down stuff. And I got into that, that whole thing. And then when I got into high school, I discovered video editing because I was, I was the only one in my high school who cared about video at all. And I just, and, and I fell in love with the process of the editing because I was able to take the stuff that I was doing with my music and my recording and I was putting it together with these crazy battle tank VHS video editing decks and this big controller with the knobs and everything. And uh, it, it, I was, it, it all came together there. And what that turned into eventually was a career as a broadcast television editor in Los Angeles. And so for the first 20 years of my life, I was known as Jeff the Piano Guy. And then, and then I started being known as Jeff the Video Guy. And now I find myself moving into yet another chapter where it's not so much I'm Jeff the video guy or Jeff the television editor. It's more Jeff the creative coach or the content coach or, you know, the guide for content creators kind of a thing. So I love seeing how that journey has transformed along the way. Um, although I, I do have to say one of the cool things that people tend to latch on to is the idea of voiceover work. I did end up getting into some voiceover work, mostly because of the television shows that I was editing. And the first big break that I got for voiceover was when I was cutting the first season of a show on ABC called Super Nanny. It's where this British nanny comes over to the States and helps US families whip their kids into shape. And so We'd walk around the hallways speaking in bad British accents and throwing things from here to there and uh, just being very glad that there were no actual Brit, Brit folks around to just cringe at how bad our fake British accents were. But we were having a blast. <laughs> and I, uh, I ended up doing the scratch tracks for the first episode of that show and and it was mainly because I was hustling. I would actually made some temp tracks and I was handing them out to the producers. They said, these are really good. Let's just put them in. It went to network and no one ever complained. Six seasons later, I was the guy. Six seasons for a show on ABC. And uh, I've been able to do a good amount of voiceover on shows ever since then. Um, auditioning for voiceover work is a totally different animal. I hate it. It's horrible just don't want to do it <laughs> really, yeah. really hard. Not my bag. But other than that, it's, it's been a lot of fun. That's so cool. My, my brother um, spent a, a lot of years out in LA. He's back, <clears throat> back in Chicago now, but he's an actor and, mm -hmm. um, and a musician. He, he's so good at everything. 
and yeah. the most humble and like meek, sweet guy ever. Like he's the most inspirational dude uh, in my life, bar none, you know, and you just can't get him to to say like anything about himself that is, is like positive enough. I'm just like, dude, you're so good at all these things. But he always told me about acting and, um, and especially like all those types of auditions. He said, it's just like kind of a, a slaughterhouse in there. Like yeah. they're looking for something so specific that if you don't, if you don't fit it at all, it's just game over. Well, I mean, they, and the thing is, they, a lot of the times they don't even know exactly what they're looking for. And you can show up as the best version on the face of the planet of pistachio ice cream. And they say, that's the most amazing pistachio ice cream ever. We're looking for rhubarb ice cream today, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and you're just going, uh, okay, I have zero control over this. And that that was actually one of the big things that I ended up taking from the auditioning process was I want to be in a place where I'm more at cause. I want to be able to create more opportunity than walking into an audition room with 50 other guys that sound just like me and saying, please, sir, pick me, pick me. It's just, uh, mm. no, thank you. I'd far rather take more control of creating opportunity. Absolutely. And I feel like this is a big thing that creatives deal with. There's kind of this tug of war at play, right? So let's let's say there's an artist out there who's like, okay, I feel like I make good work, or at least I try to. I feel like I, I enjoy it. Here's kind of what I want to do. But, you know, there's also this feeling of like wanting to be discovered. So like, should I go and do this thing? Should I go and do that? Or should I just do what I do really well? And there's almost like, so many options. And then you get to any bucket, whether it's I'm trying to make my art, there's like infinite possibilities of where to start, or mm. I'm trying to figure out how to grow my audience. And there are infinite possibilities of where to start, not to mention like gurus out the wazoo. And you're just like, okay, where do I even begin here? And so one of the one of the thoughts um, that we talked about here in, in discussing is like this idea of constraints. And this really fits to that where you're like, okay, I, I heard, I heard kind of two things. One, you're just out doing what you do and you're just kind of throwing it out there and seeing what works well, but you're also putting some, some boxes in place to say like, Hey, I can do this. This is like where I'm at already. This feels like a, a solid fit versus feeling like you had to go out and like learn a whole new skill set or do a whole new thing. You figured, how do I lean in to my strengths? So there's like a good balance of, of what I would call looking at the, the things that you trust about yourself and then seeing that to be expansive. A lot of times when we see our own skill sets, I feel like we contract it and say, well, I only can do this instead of saying yeah. I can do this. How can I expand on that? So can we just jump into this idea of like using constraints, creative constraints around, I'd love to talk a little bit about like both art and content creation. Cause I know those two things are uh, really kind of pillars for, for my audience. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I th the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, just as a point of commonality, I mean, when we're talking about creating art, everyone talks about 
that proverbial blank page, mm-hmm. you know, the, the writer sitting down to the blank page, sitting there mocking you saying, I dare you to write something and I dare it to, I dare you to not make it suck, you know? Yeah. And we're just sitting there going, ah, I'm going to go get another cup of coffee, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, I, I've also compared it to, you know, if someone says, hey, let's go, go to that Hallmark store down the road and pick out the perfect greeting card. And you walk into this Hallmark store and there are 50,000 greeting cards there. How on earth are you going to pick the right one? So the, the idea that, I, that, that has helped me a lot is the idea of limiting the choices and saying, okay, I'm going to go in and know, the, know that I need to get the very best card for someone's uncle who likes funny cards, but not overly sappy cards and who just lost his dog. I mean, all of a sudden we have a place to start digging in to start finding the perfect card among Mm -hmm. that selection of 50,000. And I, I, I first, I, I first started thinking about this and well, and actually really being freaked out about it. When I was in college, I was actually double majoring in Bible studies and music composition. And I was working on this piece for the choir that we were going to be, the director of the music department asked me, he commissioned me to write this piece. And so I was sitting there in my dorm room and I was working on the thing and it was coming together, but it was slow. And I was just, I just had this feeling of dread because I, I already knew at that point that I didn't want, I didn't have the fire in the gut to be a classical composer. And so I'm going, if I'm ever going to make a living at this, I'm going to have to be a composer for film and TV. But even that thought just freaked me out because I thought, how on earth am I going to sit down and be fresh and original and creative at a moment's notice and have to create a, a mountain of new original material every week or something like that. And that thought terrified me. And that is literally the reason that's, but that's the main reason that line of thinking that I didn't end up being a professional composer because I was so freaked out at having to be brilliant or having to do, having to deliver this stuff out of nowhere or so I thought at the time over and over and over Mm -hmm. when, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have actually said that the limits are the answer. Deadlines force inspiration to show up because you're asking a very specific question to your mind within very specific constraints. And that limit is the catalyst that says, okay, let's get this going now. So in terms of limits for creativity, I've, frankly, I've found, I almost turn it into a game saying, how can I actually, how can I actually impose more creative limits? and see how I can see and, and see what level of product I can put out 
even so. And a lot of the times, you know, going through going through scenarios as a television editor, I mean, we do not, you know, as TV editors, we do not control the content. I mean, we do, we do have a lot of control over a lot of input on the final content, but it is not our show. And there are usually multiple layers of producers and executives above us, then they all have to be happy first. And of course, they're all thinking about the audience and having they, of what they think the audience wants. And so not only do we have to actually please the audience, the, the end user audience, the viewers, we have to please the executives and their perceptions of the audience. And it, it just starts getting all, all sorts of psychologically layered if you let yourself go there. So whatever ends up happening is you get notes and notes and notes and notes. Change this, change that. What about this? Can we discuss this whole, this part is, isn't working for me. And it's really tempting as a creative to get into that and say, okay, well, clearly my offer is not what they wanted. And so mm -hmm. I'm just going to give them whatever they say they want. And it doesn't matter if it's going to suck because they don't even know what they want, so whatever. Mm -hmm. And the and, and I find if I allow myself to turn my thought, to turn my thought around and say, okay, these are not opinions on me, on my creativity. This is, you know, the, the client is not saying Jeff sucks or whatever. These are just extra limits. Let's play the game. How can we still make it good in spite of all the limits? And I tell you, I've been cutting, I've been cutting content for production companies and TV networks in LA for over 20 years now. And I'm still learning how to play that game and how to still make things be excellent in spite of all the changes, in spite of all the notes. And the cool thing is you can actually make that idea, you, you can translate, translate that idea outside your work into the rest of your life too. So I love this. And I think it's definitely having, you know, dealt with clients in my own world and all those kinds of things. I, I, I know that feeling. And it's so funny because when you, when you talk about this idea of you know, we're making something that has to appease all these other people. And then you hope that it like, like the audience enjoys it. You know, the first thing I think of is there are so many opinions and um, egos and ideas at play in any collaborative mm -hmm. environment that you literally have to like back up and say, okay, like, it, you know, is this for like, I, I always learned to sort of push it. So let's say if I was working on a mix with a client, like an mm -hmm. audio mix, we're working on their song and they're like, ah, I just feel like the guitar just needs to be louder, you know? So if somebody's listening and I've mixed for you before, I might've done this to you. I'm sorry, but I would just like pretend like I was moving something and then say, is that better? And nine times out of 10, they'd say, yeah, that's great. I never changed anything. Yeah. But what it gets to is that this wasn't like a, this wasn't a feeling of like, I'm trying to supersede the idea. This was, 
okay, the, again, there's this, I, everybody just wants to feel seen and heard. So how do we make everyone just feel, you know, like, okay, I hear you. I see you. Is this better? And then I still left it up to them to say, you make the call. If it needs to be louder, then I would actually do something. It was only the first time I'd be like, because I'm not sure this really matters. This is likely the guitar player saying this, by the way, who's like, mm. I want to make sure my mom hears this, <laughs> you know, whatever right. it is. Yeah. So, but as solo creators or artists, we have this same counsel inside our head. It's sort of like, what's the kids movie um, with joy and oh. sadness? No, Inside Out. Inside Out, yeah. I feel like my head is like that all the time where and I'll that, make that something- scenario. That scenario is actually even worse, right? Because, yeah. Ugh. So how do we how do we deal with a council of ten in an audience of like in a in a creator <laughs> in like a person of one? I feel like there's something that happens when you do enough work for other people. Yeah, it's almost like you see there's patterns that start to show up and exist where you're like, oh well, I know that this is probably good enough because. So-and-so as executive had said this was good enough a bazillion other times. So I don't need right. to question this anymore. Um, so are there little exercises maybe like that we could take from our professional world and just bring them to ourselves and say like, here's some ways that you can kind of draw the line and say, this is, you know, like, let's just move forward. It's worth just moving forward and seeing what happens. That is something that I, I feel can really be closely related to the idea of perfectionism and totally. the, the requirements or the, the feeling that we have to totally tweak things out. And, and it just, and, and we just tweak and we tweak and we tweak the mix never gets finished. The painting never gets finished. The manuscript never gets released, all that stuff. And really, what I what I tell my crowd is that perfectionism masquerades as the desire to be excellent when what it really is is fear. Yeah. Perfectionism is fear where it, it's almost like we're putting on a suit of armor. If we fiddle and polish and if we kowtow to every little voice inside our head saying this needs to be this way this needs to go that way we need to do this we need to tweak this more then if we fiddle and fuss we build up this armor where we say i put in so much work and so much attention to detail no one will ever be able to criticize it or or be able to criticize me mm -hmm. and so when that happens we are actually using perfectionism as as a scapegoat as a as as a, as an escape hatch for fear and so the, the the other thing in terms of perfectionism is that we tend to have this idea that people know what our 100% is and the fact of the matter is our audience is probably not going to know our 100%. If mm -hmm. we deliver something at 90% or 80%, chances are our art 
is going to come across as someone else's 150 or 300%. Our audience does not know what our 100% is the vast majority of the times. Now, I'm not going to say that there isn't some scenario out there where you have, where you're, where you're releasing art into the world or some form of creativity. And if you're writing something and you release something with typos in it, well, that's kind of an objective thing. That's less subjective up in your head. But man, the whole fiddling and fussing and never actually shipping is death as far as I'm concerned. And so one of the things that I like to do is I like to force myself to leave a detail undone. Mm, that's so good. It, do it doesn't even have to be anything crazy, but just as a baby step for overcoming perfectionism, leave a tiny little detail that you want to fix that you know you could fix, just stick it to the voices in your head and say, I choose to leave that thing not fiddled with and the rest of the the rest of the project will be fine and i mean i even go so far as to tell some of my uh, you know some of my community members to say just straight up deliver at 80 percent and move on because a perfectionist's 80 percent is still damn good by any standard mm. so i'm not going to say that that's going to apply straight across the board for all areas of art and creativity. But definitely, there's some wiggle room in there. That's so good. I love that idea of like, leave a detail undone that you know you could fix it, but you're, you're just showing your perfectionism self who's really boss. I think that's so <laughs> good. Um, <clears throat> this is great. So let's, <clears throat> excuse me. So let's say we're kind of, I'm sitting down. If, if it's cool, I want to kind of, because I'm dealing with this myself. Okay. So I'm taking, um, here's an example. I'm taking Casey Neistat's class right mm -hmm. now. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Casey Neistat is like a OG YouTuber, um, and incredible storyteller, really good at like taking the very normal and, and, painting a picture around it, developing some Elevating story. Yeah. yeah. So he has a class on monthly, which I'm doing right now. And he talks about this idea. Uh, he talks about, sorry, he talks about the idea and how the idea is not really what matters. You could have, you could do an idea about, you know, a post-it note um, that, that may feel like a mediocre idea, but as, as Jeff, you talk about this idea of the thing under the thing. What's the thing that goes underneath this? That's what right. makes it interesting. And so for me, you know, post-it notes really represent um, moments for me to remind myself when I'm, you know, feeling down or feeling like not at my best. And so how could I turn that into a story? But the thing that I get caught up in is sort of what we talked about, this kind of fear so what might be some parameters that I could set up to get started and say like, all right, one thing I have in mind is like, okay, I want to make a video. I know it needs to be, I'd like to make it like three or four minutes long. Um, shoot it with my cell phone. What are some other parameters that I might set in place knowing that I might be a little bit self-conscious about, you know, the end result? 
with all with all projects, I mean, obviously you want to consider who your audience is and what they mm -hmm. want and what you want the end result to be. And when so you know, if, if I was in the, if I was in the in this position myself and someone was saying, "Okay, let's put together a piece about a post-it note and there's the concept of the post-it note represents reminders for me to be encouraged when I'm feeling down. So then if I'm thinking about the end result, I can say, okay, well, what, what do I want my audience to feel after they've experienced the piece? And instantly by doing that, you've cut off other options. So, you know, if you want someone to laugh, you're going to go down an entirely different road than if you want someone to have warm fuzzies or even maybe even get a little emotional, depending on how, how far you push it. So the more, the more layers, the more filters of results and process that you put on it, the more focused you end up being when you say to your brain, okay, this piece, I want this piece to be about post-its and about post-its cheering me up when I'm feeling down. So probably the easiest way to go would be, okay, well, I want someone to feel, I want someone to feel inspired at the end of this. So, okay, brain, how can I, how can I put together ideas? How can I put an emotional journey that will end up there? And then what are the shots that fit that journey? And next thing you know, you have a beat sheet, you have an emotional map, you have a plan that you can just go out and shoot. That's great. <clears throat> so what I, what I wrote here is first consider the audience. What do they want? And what do you want the end result to be? Uh, essentially, what do you want them to feel after they've mm -hmm. experienced this thing that you're trying to create? Um, and I love that you said, this is going to cut off other options immediately. The more filters of like results and process that you put on it, the more focused your project ends up being. Um, so, you know, I think it's important also that we look at this and say, if we're just making something for ourselves, then, then it's probably a good idea to just call it that and not you know, that feels more like we're trying to grow. There's a, there's a reason that we're trying to let things breathe. Expansiveness and learning is the point, not necessarily the end result. It's more about diving into a new process or uncovering a new idea versus an end product. So what we're talking about here um, is, is really trying to put together something that you know is going to be finished, that you can publish and share with your people. Is that right? It can be. I mean, I, I love, you know, just thinking about what you just said. If this piece is just for me, well, then you can swap out that idea that, you know, the whole Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, the, the, you know, it begin with the end in mind. If you switch the end result, if the end result is, I want this to be an exercise in experimentation for myself. I want this to be an experimentation in stretching out pace and seeing 
you know, and, and, and letting, just, just letting things explore and wander a little bit, then all of a sudden that gives you direction there too. Mm. And I love that. I mean, and that especially speaks to me. I mean, as coming from, coming from the broadcast TV world, everything, it feels like I, you know, I fight tooth and nail to control the, the pacing and, you know, the, the pacing and flow and rhythm of things as I know you do in the musical world. And then it goes, it goes downstream and someone puts the, someone goes to the, to the final edit and they got to get the show down to time when they suck out all the, all that empty air stuff. And then it goes out to network and then they put it through time compression so they can add more, more spots into it. And the whole thing sounds like everyone ends up talking on speed. And I just sit there with my head in my hands. Uh, it, it's sad. <laughs> it's just sad. Anyway, so rambling side trail, this, the idea of wanting to explore how things can breathe. That's really cool. Cause I think a lot of us just don't ever really explore that much. We don't do that enough. Yeah. I, I think that there's so much to learn in, in those explorations. And this is something, this is the reason, honestly, that I'm trying to do Casey's classes because um, I want to be a better storyteller. I want to be uh, better at those things. And so it's like, hey, if I can explore that, but it's been a real challenge for me because of these fears. Because I'm like, well, what happens if I don't get it right? Whatever right looks like, or what happens there if is I get no out right, there? dude. I know there is no you right, know? <clears throat> but we feel like there should be, and yeah. uh, it's such a fascinating dilemma that we get ourselves in. Um, what you touched on here, uh, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna just ride this home is that it's not really like we we can't take it personally. We can't identify ourselves as the end product. We are not the end product of anything that we make. Um, yeah. That is that is only a piece of something that we've done. We can't define ourselves based on the success and failure, especially of one product, <laughs> like or one thing no. that we make one creation, Dude. like, because Seriously. my gosh, like how many crappy things do we have to make to make something really good most of the time, you know? So yeah, yeah I think that's really important. So let's, let's, let's switch the lens here a little bit. I have a feeling a lot of it's going to carry over, but a lot of my audience, they're, they're learning how to be better content creators. If we're trying to get somebody to discover us, like engage with us for the first time, like really on sure. a high, like as fast as we can, right? What do you feel like is the, the, the number one thing? If we could boil it down to one kind of big idea, is there, if we can, I don't know if we can, um, what do you think is the most important thing to get somebody to connect with you through content? I believe it ultimately comes down to human connection in general, because that's the end result of what we're doing. Yeah. No matter our medium, that's our end goal. That's our, that's our end. That's our end result that we're all shooting for. If we're musicians, we want to connect with our fans. We want our fans to say, I like this. I identify with this. I like the artist. I want more of the artist. I want more of the content. If you're, no, same, you know, you know, mixed media painting, you know, pottery, you name it. We want to evoke something that connects with other people. 
I've been you know I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and uh, at at the risk of sounding overly broad, I mean, it's really it it it's really we are wanting to create something that is received and understood. And to do that, we have to understand who we're speaking to. Because we, we can put forth the best piece of anything in any medium. And if it lands on the wrong audience, that communication will not take place. That connection will not take place. And so I think if we're, if we're really wanting to build a strong connection with people through our art, we have to know what our audience wants and we have to speak to that. Um, one, of the, one of the powerful ways to do that through written word and spoken word and, 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 and moving picture, of course, is through storytelling. Because, you know, we're all living a story ourselves, and so are the people who are engaged in the, in the work that, we're, that, that they're consuming. So then if, if the connection is the most important thing, and I want to kind of go back to something that you mentioned uh, earlier, which is like, even in your early days, you were leaning into your strengths. You said, ah, I learned, you know, this idea of... Um, doing editing and, and bedroom production and, and these things. And I, how can I marry these things and, and, and make something that I really enjoy? So if you were starting right now, you're just like, okay, let's say you've never done Hollywood stuff, but you know your strengths still, right? Mm -hmm. what, what, would you, what constraints would you put around yourself to start making content that you, that you would hope would like connect people to your art? Well, can't say that I can speak for all different kinds of art because it's sure. a pretty wide field. So in terms of the stuff, you know, in terms of the stuff that I know, some of my own personal skills, um, I'd probably start with the things that I know, the things that I love, and things that people want to know about. Um, I've I've always leaned more towards, uh, towards teaching. So were I to start over from scratch right now, not having had my previous, not having had my previous career or experience, then I would probably say, Hey, here's what I've learned in this field. What do you think? Is this helpful? Let's talk about this. And still it's, you're providing value. I would be providing value probably through, you know, if I'm teaching people how to how to accompany a vocalist on the piano or how to how to use music theory or how to improvise, you know, all the years I had growing up playing piano in church and, you know, playing hymns and all this, you know, and, and they're just so boring because you had to play along with the organist and the organist doesn't know how to do anything, but just read what's on the page and not, maybe not even that. And so just when, when you think about, okay, well, how, what, all the things that I've learned about how to actually bring a piece of music to life and just that kind of stuff, um, teach what, you know, ask how, ask what people think about it, continue the conversation, 
have it be a back and forth dialogue because I do think that's a big that's a big shift that our modern world has undergone. Media used to be very much a, a one directional broadcast where right now it is all about having connection between the artist and the audience um, more so and more so. So I would probably, heck, if, if, if I was starting over from scratch right now, I'd probably start up on YouTube and just start teaching what I know. I love that. So my big takeaway from, from what you just said, start, you'd start with things that you know, you'd start with things that you love and things that you're interested in talking about. You know that you're a good teacher, so you'd lean into that. That's a strength that you have. So if you're a listener and you know that you're good at poetry, let's look at someone like Morgan Harper Nichols, right? What does she do? She leans into the things she's really good at. Written word, Mm -hmm. spoken word, right? Put the information out there and then ask people for feedback. Ask them what they think. And, you know, now, granted, like Jeff's a master at this stuff, but what I love is he talked about like playing music was a part of his backstory. And what did he give us there? But like a detail, I don't even know if you knew you were doing this, but there was a detail around playing in church, how like the organist <laughs> doesn't know anything. And you gave us a little something there that immediately in my brain, I go, I know exactly what he's talking about because I grew up Southern Baptist and there's like the big, <laughs> you know, and there's like the feet going and all that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, <laughs> there's something that plays them and, and there's magic around those details because for those of us that are going to be listening to you, that what you're putting out there, those details create connection, right? Mm-hmm. Which lead, leads into the last thing that, that you said here, Jeff, which is it's no longer one directional. And yeah. we're not talking about the pop band. We're talking about like <laughs> content used to be, I'm watching you know, whatever television show uh, I'm watching Johnny Carson or Letterman or now Fallon, it's one directional, mm-hmm. but now it's about mutual connection with the artist and the audience. And so yeah. just starting with that framework of like, what are you good at? What do you know? What do you love? Those are enough constraints. Most people I feel like start with the opposite of like, what's the keyword research I need to do? What's the like, all the metadata opportunities. What is the optimal length for a video? Like, and there, like, there isn't a complete right or wrong there. But if you start well, with connection, which, you know, which I think is that's not the to, most beautiful thing. And I mean, I would say if it's not just, I mean, and, and it's not just that. I mean, absolutely. If you want to look at keywords, add that in as an extra layer. Have, you know, you're, you're building your own Venn diagram. So you're finding all those other sections that overlap. And so if you know that people are searching for, for, whatever, for whatever sort of content, um, awesome. And if you see that people aren't searching for that, well, that might be a sign that you might want to pursue something else if your goal is to build, build a following. Sometimes it's just to put your art out there. Yeah. And it, but in the same breath, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've found for me personally, not necessarily on YouTube um, per se, but on like Instagram and, um, and even on shorts, like YouTube mm-hmm. shorts, um, 
the stuff that that is getting the most views and landing the most with people is not stuff that has anything to do with search. It has a lot to do with like the heart behind the message, um, which is stuff I don't hear a lot. I of love that talking about. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because what we're seeing is like, and we used to talk about this video creators a lot too, which is that, you know, the connection and what gets people to stay longer, what gets people to engage and continue to interact is the real power is the real power play. It's not just like, search term so even if you're doing search like jeff said do it like if you want if you know like i'm but again i love jeff's initial thing which is what do you know what are you passionate about what are your strengths use those still as the pillars to say now how can i put my own thing into this versus like i gotta fit into this place because somebody's searching for it i think that's completely the wrong idea i think you have to start with what's exciting to you would you agree with that or like where where do you land on those kinds of things well i think at this point and it's okay to, to be like lennon you're a dipshit <laughs> i don't <laughs> oh they're what the clean rating on the episode <laughs> we've been uh -oh. throttled <laughs> uh, I, I i do think that my train of thought just got completely derailed because that was amazing <laughs> um could you repeat the question yeah, totally. So do you think, do you think it's accurate to say that like starting with what you're passionate about is like you said, sort of in these points is more important than the, than what we, what many would call like market research. Like where do you, which do you think is more important? I think it's more of a chicken and egg thing. Got I it. think you need both because yeah. if the goal, I mean, most of the folks in most of the folks in in your world are wanting to make a living doing what they love so there has to be both there has to be a demand for what we offer there has to be a be a demand for the value that we bring into the world and decide where our personal love and motivation uh and our personal love and passion for what we're doing that's what's going to keep us doing the thing when it gets hard because it's not a question of if it's going to get hard, it will get hard. And so what's going to keep us going when it does? So that's why it, it, when you can get those sections of the Venn diagram lining up, that's, that, that's when things start clicking. Yeah, that's so true. So good. So tell, is there anything, you know, anything that, that's been unsaid here that you wanted to touch on? Anything that I've, that I've missed? um that you'd like to in terms of creative constraints that that you'd like to to leave the peoples with you know i think creative constraints can work just as easily in life not just in our art i think it's one of those things where at you know as we get older you know, when, when, when you're a kid and you think, and, you, and you're told you can be anything you want to be, and there's a whole world of opportunity, and the older you get, the more you realize that there is opportunity everywhere. And if I'm really going to get some traction on this, I have to put some limits on what I'm pursuing if I'm going to really make an impact. And so I think the idea of setting limits i think one of the big limits that we look at is our time 
-hmm. because we all have a have the same 24 hours of the day so we say okay let's start chunking up the big rocks and say how do you know what are the things that i feel most strongly about that i want to have in my time and once you get down to the point where you're looking to squeeze more things into those tiny little chunks of time for instance then that forces other questions like is what i'm trying to put in this time slot really important compared to these other things what is actually important to me and what am i going to do about that and if it's all important then what am i going to change in terms of how i'm doing it or the standards at which i'm delivering to make it all happen and so that way you can end up using those limits to actually be more present with your family you can i, I mean there's one of the things that i've decided is that whenever possible when my children ask me for something that they're just asking maybe for no particular reason at all i'm going to do everything in my power to say yes because if i keep saying no eventually they'll stop asking mm -hmm. and so my little daughter my three-year-old daughter she's she started doing this thing where she comes into she comes upstairs to my office she knocks on the door and she says daddy daddy and i, I might be right in the middle of working on something and I turn around and say, I want a hug. And I say, you know what? And I'm saying to myself, yes, I'm on a deadline. But you know what? If my daughter wants to give me a hug, she can give me a hug anytime she wants. And that's something that I've decided, you know, that's, that is, I'm going to do everything in my power to make that more important than any project I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, that right there is choosing a limit. Um, that's it, because I am choosing to stop other things. I'm choosing to say no to other things because of those higher priorities. So, I mean, you can apply, you can apply this to the time that you spend on content creation. You can apply it to business building. You can apply it to your relationships, to your spirituality, all, all over the place, all kinds of things. And, uh, Eventually, you have to put limits on how much you think about limits. <laughs> yeah, this is so in line, you know, like even today, uh, as we're taping this, it's a Tuesday. And every mm -hmm. Tuesday, um, every Tuesday, my wife and I have now set aside uh, a time where we go out to lunch together because the kids are in school. And, um, you know, and we also this year blocked out like, here are the days like this day, like Monday nights are game night and creative night with the kids, you know? So we've just said like, we want, like you're saying this to be such a priority in our life. So that means we're going to make sure that the time exists for it. Um, yeah. And that's been so challenging, ironically, because the first thing that we tend to do, Jamie and I, my wife is like, if things get, if we get behind on something, it's easy for us to be like, well, we'll just, we'll do our thing later, you know? And then uh, there was a couple of times where one of one or the other had to be like, no, no, no. Like we, this is 
non-negotiable time because if we yeah. want this to really feel like we're connected this doesn't get to get pushed around by anything else and setting that limit has been so amazing for us the first couple of weeks were really kind of weird because there was times where we're like <laughs> i feel like i need to be doing something else right now and now we finally started to feel the ease of no this happens every week and it's a beautiful thing and we get a chance to like spend two hours without anybody else around and actually hear what each other says without like a dog barking or a child like uh, on our lap. And, um, and I think that has a lot to do with, with what you're talking about here, setting constraints on, on the important things um, just as we do the unimportant. And I think that's a really, uh, a really cool idea. Thanks for bringing that to us, Jeff. All right, Jeff, where can we, find you and your community and um, who who's best suited inside of your community? Sure. Uh, go to storygreenlight.com. That is the website. And uh, also have, if you like these kind of conversations, lots more, lots more like this over at the Story Greenlight podcast. And uh, really for the folks in our community, we focus mostly on information-driven YouTube creators who are looking to build who build their content creation skills and who are looking to create those human connections with their audience. So those are the folks that we focus on mostly in our community. The ideas actually, as you can tell, they have a lot of crossover to a lot of different areas. So if you like the ideas, come on over to Story Greenlight, check it out, and we'll keep this conversation going. Absolutely. Yeah. Go check out Jeff's stuff and tell him I sent you. There's no, uh, you know, I, I feel so honored to have gotten to know you and spend time together when we can um, in both now the Midwest and the West Coast. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you and just being being a part of my life and being a blessing through your skills and knowledge and just being an awesome human being. So thanks a lot, Jeff. Awesome, man. Thank you. If you want to build an audience and an income around your art, the best way to do that is to connect people to the artist as much as the artwork itself. And so if you want to learn my methods to doing that, you can take my free course at www.stopthestarvingartist.com. The course is called Creative Business Basics. And if you don't like it, let me know. I'll send you... 10 bucks via Venmo. Like I am happy to pay you for your time if I end up wasting it. So I hope to see you there inside the course and on another episode of the Stop the Starving Artist podcast. Mm -hmm.